Welcome to Utah Lit, the Salt Lake Tribune's online book club. I'm Jennifer Napier-Pierce, and uh, we're talking about two books this month, Roomies and What We Lost. Hopes, fears, love lost and found, change, that's all part of adolescence, and few write more convincingly about these uncomfortable teenage years than the young adult novelist uh, that we're talking about today, Sarah Zarr. Um, we, if you haven't seen it, we've got a great interview with Sarah Zarr on our website at sltrib.com. But we're also talking more broadly about why, just why, uh, so many young adult novelists, successful, best-selling novelists, live here in Utah. Joining me in the Google Hangout today is Salt Lake Tribune columnist, author, and all-around book lover, Anne Cannon. Anne, hi. Hello. Also with us, features reporter extraordinaire, Ellen Weaston. Ellen, hello. Thank you. And of course, this is a book club. Join our conversation, if you will. What elements of Czar's narratives drew you in? Why do you think teens eat up Czar's books? And what are your theories on why so many successful YA novelists live here in Utah? If you've got questions or comments on roomies or what we lost, uh, send them to the hashtag TribTalk on Twitter and Google+. You can also put them in the comments section of our page here at sltrib.com or on Facebook, or you can text us at 801-609-8059. That's 801-609-8059. A um, lot of texts to, to cover, but um, let's start with the author, Sarah Zarr, and she's a friend of yours. Introduce yeah. us. Yeah, she is. Sarah's great. Sarah's not originally from here. She grew up in the Bay Area, and a couple of her books are actually set there. Uh, she's lived in Utah for quite a while, though, feels comfortable here, and is just, she's just a terrific writer. I have to say, she's just, she's one of my favorites. Um, I think I would feel that way even if I didn't know her personally. She's incredibly hardworking. She's very bright, um, not the least bit pretentious. I just, I think she's fabulous, so... Mm. She's a National Book Award finalist. She's a she two-time Utah Book Award winner. So yeah. uh, a lot of people really admire her writing. Ellen, you got the chance to interview her here in the newsroom a few weeks ago. Um, and again, if you haven't seen it yet, check it out at sltrib.com. Um, after watching the interview, it was very clear to me that she takes writing very seriously yeah. um, and, and that she doesn't believe in writer's block. Yeah, that was a really interesting response. She says that writer's block is just when you're feeling lazy. And she <laughs> um, totally dismisses it as a concept and says for her what she does is realizes that something's not working so she goes to another part of the story or she takes a walk or takes a break or whatever. But she had no patience for the idea of writer's block, which I thought was a really um, interesting. Um, and it goes to Anne's point about how serious she is as a writer. Yeah. I think a lot of people think because her her first published book was her fourth book. I think a lot of people think that because that book won a National Book Award finalist, um, that it's been easy for her. But I think Sarah would say that the writing process is difficult, and you work hard at it, and and she's very thoughtful about it. So yeah. I thought I th I think the fact that she's very serious is is um, a good thing to think about when you look at at how productive she's been, as well as as her. Um, her characters are serious too. They're dealing with yeah. adult-sized problems, and they and they do it from a young adult perspective. So I think that's an interesting aspect of her work. We yeah, selected. To, oh, oh, yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, Sharon and I. Uh, Sarah and I shared some office space for a while, and so I got to see her on a daily basis, just how hard she worked, how methodical she was, and how she just, she wasn't self-indulgent at all, and, uh, you know, it's, it's great to watch that in action. 
so as a committee, we decided, yes, Sarah Zar is somebody we want to feature, um, and we decided we needed to read two books. Ellen, illuminate the audience. Why, why did we decide Sarah Zar was worthy of our attention, and, and why did we need two samples of her work? Well, I think Sarah, as you talked about in the intro, I think Sarah's work um, says something about the variety and number of young adult successful novelists we have working in Utah. Um, and also, I, I, um, I'm someone who's been following Sarah's work since she published her published her first book in 2007 and I think her track record is fascinating and I also think that beyond her fans, beyond fans of young adult um, books, I think that more people need to know about the serious novelist in our in our community as well as we picked these two books in particular um, I argued for Rumi's because it was her latest book and, and it was published in December at the end of December and I thought that was timely and um, had a news peg, but also it's interesting because it was co-written with a friend of hers, and I thought mm -hmm. that was an interesting strategy and provided some um, um, interesting things to talk about in terms of a book written by two people, two different characters. through. It was written through email, and, and they're communicating through email, and I thought that was interesting. Um, at this contemporary time, as well as I thought Once Was Lost is a book that was published in 2009, and I think it really has a lot to say to our community because it was originally based on um, Sarah's questions during the Elizabeth Smart abduction, and the book became fiction. It's set in another kind of town. It's set in another kind of religious community, but I think it has some really interesting local um, questions in the book, and I'm hoping that readers um, found those questions to be fascinating. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned Once Was Lost. Uh, the title has since been revised to What We Lost. Um, is there some significance in the title change, Ellen? Uh, it, it originally, Sarah Zarr said it originally came from, it's a line from the hymn Amazing Grace, and her publisher decided to repackage it with a new title and a new book cover in, in hopes that it would find a wider audience. Sarah told me in the interview that it was her, at the time it was published, it was her best reviewed book, but it has not achieved the sales success. And I think it's pretty interesting because I think that says something about the, the topics of faith and religious communities in, young, in the young adult genre. And I don't think that's a subject that's been explored or or that publishing houses know how to market very well. Right. I'm I'm really fascinated with how this book, um, how the the story um, resounds with Mormon readers. I think there's a lot of really fascinating conversations that can grow out of it. Even though the main character is not Mormon, she's Christian and belongs to a Christian youth group. I think there are fascinating questions in this book that I'm hoping that some of our readers will take seriously and, and apply to their own religious communities. Mm. Right. Go ahead, Ann. I was just going to say, it, it looks at a teenager's um, struggle with doubts and uh, questions about faith. It's sort of, there, there's a crisis of faith that happens, and I think that lots of times uh, parents, especially who are wanting to raise their child in a particular religious environment, find that threatening. They, they, they don't they don't want their kids to go there but the fact is is that that kids often do and I think that this is an intelligent look at at those moments and if you the, just join, uh, go ahead Ellen yeah, sorry. sorry I was jumping in to say another thing that's interesting about this main character is that she's the daughter of a preacher right and so she has some really interesting doubts about her family as well as her religious faith and they 
and they entwine in really interesting ways. Right. And I think for all the um, bishops' kids and stake presidents' kids and general authorities' kids, I think this would be a book that would be of interest to them as well, because mm -hmm. those similar kinds of questions are happening in a faith that has many lay leaders. Hmm. Yeah. If you're just join us, joining us, we're talking about Rumi's and about what we lost. Two books by young adult novelist Sarah Zarr, uh, with the lovely and talented Trib Staffers columnist and Ann Cannon and Ellen Wiest. And uh, if you want to join us, send your questions and comments to the hashtag TribTalk on Twitter and Google Plus. You can put them in the comment section on our Facebook page or at sltrib.com, or you can tweet us at eight zero one six zero nine eight zero five nine. That's eight zero one. Six zero nine eight zero five nine. We talked a little bit about Sarah being uh, extremely hard worker and conscientious. Mm -hmm. I mean, she takes her craft very seriously, yeah. um, and I think you see that particularly in um, the characters that she develops. The right. the narrators that we see um, in Rumi's. I mean, Czar uh, won't writes one character, her co-author uh, Tara Altabrando wrote the other. I I'm curious to, to hear, do you feel like the voices were distinct enough from each other um, in your reading? And uh, Anne, what do you think? You know, when I first started reading it, I didn't think the voices were as distinct as I thought that they might be. Toward probably about the middle, I really started to feel like there was a difference. And because I know Sarah very well, and I know her books well, um, Sarah's voice in particular was really, really strong to me. Um, Ellen, what did you think? Characters solid? I, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I felt like in that book, I felt like the situations um, were stronger to me than the characters. And um, I was really interested as a reader of that effect of going back and forth in chapters, having different mm -hmm. narrators in chapters. I love that actually. That's I, that's one of my. Not everybody loves that, but I love uh, novels told in different voices. Like one of my favorite novels is not a young adult novel. It's a long way a long way down by Nick Hornby, which is told from four different points of view, and the voices are really distinct in that. Um, but I always I love those kinds of books. What about in what we lost? Did you find the the characters compelling and real? I did. Yeah, I thought I really connected with Sam. I thought that she was, for me, a very believable character in a tough situation. And uh, there were just all kinds of little details. The one thing I admire about Sarah's writing is that um, her prose style is very, is very lean. And yet, at the same time, she really nails it with just the right kinds of details. Um, and I should have marked them so that I could have them right here to share with you, and I didn't. But I'm always struck by that. And I really felt like what was lost, what we lost, um, exemplifies that pretty well. Mm -hmm. Ellen, anything to add there? Well, the, the, the thing I like about that character is that she is so um, direct and questioning yeah. about her doubts. And not just religious doubts, but about, as I said before, about her family. And yeah. she's dealing with many things on her own. And it characterizes, for me, I think one of the uh, elements of young adult fiction often is that the parents are often um, either either away or distracted. And, and so we hear about events through the, the teenage narrator's point of view. And that, that is one of the characteristics of young adult fiction in my reading. Right, and also of children's fiction, because, I mean, if you'll recall back to the days when you're reading the boxcar children, like, who doesn't want to be an orphan, you know, like, at least in a book, <laughs> you don't have anybody there telling you what to do. And, and I think that that also is true, like, the parents, even if they're good parents or whatever, they do take a sort of a sideline role, because it's the kid 
that absolutely needs to be the focus and also the one who needs to figure it out. There shouldn't be a wise adult that suddenly appears and like guides the child or the young adult to a place of understanding. Um, the kid's got to do it. And what I found in both of these books is that the parents, to me, were um, they were not complete messes, but they weren't venerated either. I mean, they were they were right. real, full-bodied, flawed characters, and so um, you know they had their own set of real grown-up problems that they're struggling with. Yeah, particularly um, Lauren's mother. Yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I thought Sam's mother uh, in What We Lost was also very similar. Oh yeah. You could see her struggling through a real grown-up problem of alcoholism, yeah. and that's not. Um, I mean, she she doesn't sugarcoat it in that book no. at all. I mean, she shows no. that she is a very absent parent who has to deal with her own problems, and right. um, I, I think that affects the way that uh, the primary character does act. I mean, if there is a flaw in the character development, I, I found that the the central characters were very believable and felt real, but some of the outside characters, particularly the boyfriend mm -hmm. interest, the love interest, were a little less developed. Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in Rumi's, Evie's boyfriend, Mark, is like the perfect guy. And <laughs> when he finds out that his parents aren't exactly um, all that, I mean, he doesn't flip out. He doesn't go right. crazy. He he's very methodical in the way that he processes this, and I I found that right. a little unbelievable, knowing the teenage boys in my life. You know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I raised five of them, and I, and I will say that lots of times I think that uh, male characters who appear in books, and I I don't want to be treading on dangerous territory here, but girls books that are written primarily for a female audience don't always feel very authentic to me. I did, did you find that way, uh, that Ellen? I mean, yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree. And I also think some of the other characters, not just the boyfriends, but the best friends, you know, they're not as fully developed. I mean, we don't get a sense of them and how they're different from the main narrator. Mm -hmm. You know, they they sort of feel like plot devices versus fully developed characters to me. I have to chime in as an author. I mean, I know exactly why that happens. Um, you, you're you, the person you're really interested in is in fact your main character, and um, um, and and really, you do you do use your minor characters lots of times as plot devices, you know, to just move things forward or to make certain points. And and uh, um, I I, th I thought Sarah's the boy the boy that was in Sarah's part of the story uh, felt probably more real to me than uh, Mark, you know, the other girl's boyfriend. But but I do think that the focus always does seem to stay just right on the main character in these books. Speaking of plot devices, I mean, in uh, What We Lost, did the mystery work for you? Um, obviously, there's a, an abduction in a small town, and the, the youth surrounding um, that town react to it. Um, did did that, that sense of mystery and that element of unease and the unknown work for you, Anne? Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, I could be wrong about this, but I think when Sarah first envisioned this story, I think she envisioned it more as a story about that um, and, and, and maybe more of a conventional kind of mystery. But as she started writing it, um, there were other issues that I think she felt were more compelling and, and uh, that she wanted to pay attention to. And so, so the mystery was, was, I think, deliberately sidelined to some extent and serves as a backdrop for a lot of larger issues that she's dealing with. And so in that way, I mean, I don't think it's a traditional mystery, but I think it really does uh, contribute to the sense, like you say, of an ease in, in the community and in the book. I, I thought it worked well. Mm -hmm. Ellen, I mean, uh, was it a page turner for you, or uh, we're talking about what was lo what we lost? 
um, is there something right below a page turner? I mean, I was certainly reading reading quickly. Um, I guess one of the things that's interesting to me is uh, is is the distance between Sam, the narrator, and the missing girl, Jody. They're not really close friends, and so right. I think that that creates sort of a distance in the story that I think um, it's just part of this novel for me. Um, I'm I'm interested in people who are living here and um, were maybe teenagers during the Elizabeth Smart years, and I'm interested in how they respond to this book, and they might respond very differently than I did, where I felt it was very distanced um, because of that um, relationship that that wasn't a primary relationship between the narrator and the missing girl. Mm -hmm. uh, one other thing I noticed, uh, similarities between both of the books is they seem to target this period of time in uh, a young person's life when they're transitioning into adulthood. Mm -hmm. This summer after graduation and, you know, wide open spaces, what, what life's possibilities are. Right. Uh, I suppose that's a, a nice device for an author because there's a beginning and an end. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and you've got to cram in your, your storyline in there. I mean, yeah. and uh, I guess that... It provides that, a natural structure, which is right. like, you, know, you love those as an author, you know, to really help you just sort of hang your story on to. Um, we, we talked about faith and doubt. Other themes that we see in... Um, in both books is again that that period of time between childhood and independence and and for me all of the the teen angst really rang true <laughs> I mean yeah. uh, for anybody who survived adolescence it can be a very up and down time particularly yeah. with the authority figures in your life the parents and uh, and, and I really I, I like that sense of um, even though I don't have to relive it myself, it's kind of fun to read, you know. Right. Especially <laughs> All when you the drama. have some distance from it. And 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 that whole thing of not only dealing with authority figures, but realizing that they have clay feet, like, you know, you're just sort of beginning to understand all of that too. It is just I, I think it's why I'm always interested in writing for that audience because it's such a fraught time. It's just inherently full of just angst and drama and everything else. And it's mm. it's also a funny time too, so there's that. Our, our, our managing editor, Lisa Karakaburu, mentioned that uh, if these books had been around when she was going through that period of life, she would have totally eaten them up. Right. I mean, would you recommend these to the young adults in your life, um, and, and why, Ellen? Um, I would because I love the nuanced treatment of adult issues. I don't. Uh -huh. I don't think that. Um, parents who are conservative and very careful, um, I think they need to read these books first because there's frank talk about sexuality in, in roomies in particular and I, th I think those are great things for parents to read with my children, with their children and I have to say I was raised by a mother who was a reader and she would steal my library books and um, <laughs> I, I had to borrow, I had to beg to get them back from her because she was always so worried that they would go back to the library before she finished the ending but she was great about always wanting to know what we were reading and right. and I mean, I, I really admire parents who read with their children so they can talk about all these issues. Right. But these are not, I mean, I think the young adult genre now is not something that you can let your child read no. in all alone. I think you need, 
you need to provide guidance. You you ought to be aware at least. I mean, I think that saying no to a book sometimes just makes your kid. I yeah, mean, exactly. my I dream mean, as a writer is to get banned in Texas because then I think that my <laughs> book sales would just like shoot through the roof. So you have to be like careful with that. But I do think parents really ought to know. Like at the King's English Bookstore where I sub sometimes, we we have really separated out some of our YA fiction. We have a section called Edgy, where we put older. YA fiction because some of it is very 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 frank and and uh, you know parents just need to be aware I guess if, is what I'm saying here. Uh, what do you mean that bluntness about uh, sexuality yeah, or about like, drugs or what? I mean, like you name it like you know sex drugs just um, you know hard stuff um, yeah it's 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 there in a lot of YA so hmm. just just be aware. Hmm. How do these two books stack up against uh, Sarah Zar's other books? Uh, she's written six novels. Um, yeah. So, uh, what do you think in in the span of her work? How do these sort of rank? Um, I, you know, I, again, I think this just and Sarah knows this. Like my favorite book of hers is How to Save a Life. I just I recommend that's told in two voices. It's it's really really a great novel. Um, so that one would be my favorite, uh, favorite of hers. But you know, there's something there kind of for everybody. I think if you like realistic fiction, if you like in a, a mature treatment of some hard issues, you know, you're going to find something to like in Sarah's books. Mm. And it is kind of unusual to get that that realism um, in the young adult genre because so much of the genre is filled with fantasy. Yeah, and it is, and I like fantasy too. And and one thing that I will say is that. You know, if your kid is reading and they love something, just say yay. I mean, that that is really a good thing. Um, um, sometimes I wish that there were more realistic fiction, but that's just my personal taste. I will say this: I was mentioning this earlier, but um, you know, the paranormal role, the paranormal romance is sort of like it's it's sort of. Um, the interest is not as huge as it was, but um, I will. I just have to say this real quick. I decided maybe I should try to write one of those, so I started writing a book about um, a selkie, you know, a man who turns into a seal who turns into a man. And I woke up one day and I just said, I am writing a book about a girl who's in love with a seal. Like, <laughs> it, that, I just can't do that. So it's it's nice to see just a broadening field a little bit, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, there are so many. Um, fantasy writers here in Utah. Right. Uh, we're right. talking Brandon Mull, we're talking yeah. Matthew Kirby, James Dashner, um, right. uh, Shannon Hale, I guess you could even put in that category in sure. some respects. Um, uh, Ali Condi, we could add Ali Condi to that list. Yeah. Right, and uh, then you know if you expand it beyond fantasy, A.E. Cannon is on that list. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, Sometimes. I, I'm curious what your theories are. Why are so many of these best-selling YA novelists living in Utah? What, what is it about this group? Is it the water? What yeah. is it? Well, you know, Sarah talked about that in her interview, which everybody should go see that. It's really a great interview. Um, but um, I, I think there are a few things that have happened over the years. There is a tradition here of storytelling, of narrative. Um, there's that. There also is the, the notion that there are a lot of kids here. And, and so you have a lot of women who are taking care of children and men too, but they, they're checking out books and reading books with and to their children and they feel like, I would like to do this as well. There was also a really strong writing community that started a generation or two back with Barbara Williams and Ivy Ruckman and Gloria Skruzinski, who's still writing, who sort of paved the way for a lot of people from here to New York. The other thing too is I think that um, historically that 
I felt I think that some people felt like young adult was sort of a safe place to write because you could write about things that mattered, but you didn't necessarily have to write about sex um, or or some sort of like um, issues like that. That's just not true anymore. But I I, I sometimes have wondered if there was that felt like a safe place for some people to reside as writers. Um, and then you know, frankly, um, BYU has. Traditionally, I think this is, it's not so much anymore, but they had a great creative writing program with instructors who had published nationally who were then turning out students who went on to publish nationally as well. Um, there's a really great uh, prize, the Delcourt Press Prize. A number of BYU people ended up um, publishing uh, because of that. So I think all of those have been factors. Ellen, what are your theories? I also think there's a tradition here of stories with morals, with moral messages, and I think a lot of early young adult fiction um, had those kind of um, right. um, suggestions in them. I think the the genre has grown beyond that. Right. Um, you know, we for the last five years, um, as I edited the art section, we asked every young adult writer why this was happening, and no one had any good ideas beyond the fact that we have a lot of readers, young readers here. Hmm. So I, I think the answer to that question is still out there. Okay, <laughs> well we'll keep ruminating. But there is some crossover appeal between the YA and the adult reader. I mean, what is right. the attraction for people who are um, who, who want a good story but maybe they don't want to invest the time that um, some more challenging writing would require? I mean, what, yeah. what, 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 how do you explain that crossover appeal? Well, it's, it's huge, and it's not just here. Uh, it's, it's sort of everywhere. A lot of adult readers are reading YA. That's why there is a lot of YA published right now. And I think that you got at it um, exactly, Jennifer. For one thing, picking up a YA do uh, novel requires, in some ways, a lot less time commitment for people who are just in the thick of a lot of things. You can usually count on a pretty good story in some traditional kinds of ways. Like there, there's usually a beginning, a middle, and end. Um, often it's more direct, and that's not to say it's simplistic, but it's, it's, it can be more direct. And voice in YA is huge. You often have interesting, funny, sardonic, sarcastic uh, voices in YA lit, which I think appeals to a lot of adult readers as well. Mm. And then there's the whole, ro the, the whole romance thing, like Twilight just set off this huge thing, and so there's now actually an emerging genre called New Adult, <laughs> which basically grew out of the interest of adults in things like Twilight, and it's, it's sort of um, sexy, really sexy, sexy romance for I don't know, new adults, whatever I mean, that means. I mean, how is that different from the, the traditional romance novel? Yeah, I know. It's just, it's. I think they're always looking for ways to market and to sell, like to create niches that people can, you know, that, that reps can go out to bookstores and say, hey, this is new adult, so, yeah. Huh, okay. Ellen, you want to chime in on the, the crossover appeal? Well, I, a couple things I want to say. One is I think young adult has become the energizing factor of the publishing industry, and I think it's right. been fascinating to see the genre just explode. Whether or not readers are reading different categories because of titles, I don't know, but I think it's fascinating to see that kind of energy, which is, has uh, sparked new publishing. 
um, mm -hmm. of new titles. And I think the other thing too is the question to ask is what will happen with our um, best-selling YA novelists as they continue through their careers? Will they continue and move up to the new adult? Will they move to literary fiction? Will they move to different kinds of genres? I think it's really fascinating to see what will happen to this group of writers as they continue publishing. Right. I will say this, a lot of people who write for children and young adults, um, they'll, they'll sometimes be a little frustrated when people suggest that, well, now you've gotten your feet wet or your toe in the door, now you can write real books. And, and I think that a lot of people who write for those age groups will keep writing in the same way that they do for those age groups because that's what they're interested in. But I know that a lot of writers also like the opportunity to try something new. Mm -hmm. I know that Sarah right now is um, pretty interested in looking at other kinds of fiction, particularly fiction written for, for adult audiences, you know, more literary fiction. So, um, and I think she certainly can pull that off. And that's, uh, you brought that up in the interview with her, Ellen, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and she talks about, you know, working through issues um, of narrators from 18 to 24, and now she's yeah. thinking about the 24 to older um, narrators, and I, I think that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I think it's fascinating, I mean, you know, young adult writers have often felt like they are mis miscategorized as it's easier to write for yeah. young adults, and, and I wanted to make sure that we brought that up because I'm, I'm sure um, it seems easier from the outside, but it's difficult to pull off. Absolutely. Yeah, each kind of genre requires its own set of um, uh, you know, skills, and, 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 I, and I always say to writing students, I say, don't disrespect any genre that you attempt. Like, if you think you can write a romance because it'll make you some money, but you hate romances, you're, you're not ever going to be able to do it. You need to respect what the conventions and the traditions of whatever you think you want to write are. Hmm. If you haven't finished them, What We Lost and Roomies um, from Sarazar, take a take a look. Uh, we need to wrap it up, but um, I'll give you a, a sneak peek at our next selection, March 28th. Um, the the title is Theft by B.K. Lauren. Um, Ellen, can you just give us a, a brief little uh, teaser for us? Yeah, I'm trying to hold up the novel. <laughs> this is um, a Colorado writer. This is her debut novel. Um, the writer's name is B.K. Lauren, and it's a novel about a woman who is an animal tracker, and she's asked by police to um, track down her brother, who's a convicted murderer. So, I mean, I think it will be very different in style than the two books we've read so far, and I'm interested in um, reading it along with our readers. I can't wait to dig in. Anne Cannon, Ellen Weiss, thank you both very much for the time. Thanks, Thanks Jennifer. And again, save the date. The next Utah Lit Gathering is Friday, March 28th. We'll have a lot more information on our Facebook page and on our website, sltrib.com. I'm Jennifer Napier-Pierce. Thanks for tuning in to Utah Lit. We'll see you next month.